If you'll take your Bible and find your place with me at Matthew chapter 5. If you're joining us today for the first time, we're in a study of the Beatitudes, and we have arrived at the third of these Beatitudes. I challenged you at the beginning of this series to memorize these 10 verses with me. And I'm not going to ask anybody to stand and, and share their progress and maybe quote some of the verses that they've already worked on and memorized, but I, I do hope that you'll join me in this memorization aspect. We want our kids to memorize uh, the Ten Commandments. We, we want them to memorize the Beatitudes as well. Uh, these come at the very beginning of, of the very first sermon that Jesus delivers, and, and we want to know these Beatitudes. Beginning in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together as we begin. Heavenly Father, we do thank you on this day for all of your blessings. And today we're talking about the Beatitudes, specifically about this matter of being meek. And Lord, I pray today that you'll help us to learn this truth. It's so antithetical to the world and the society in which we live. And yet it is one of the ways that you say leads us to the blessed life. Father, we want all of these men and women, we want our children we want our young people, we want our young adults, young married couples. Lord, we want everyone to experience this blessed life. And you've told us how to do so through these beatitudes. So, Lord, help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You probably know, but let me just remind you that all of the beatitudes of Jesus challenged the people of his day. They were antithetical to the very principles and the ideas of most of the people, even of his day. For instance, the Pharisees wanted a miraculous kingdom. The Sadducees desired a materialistic kingdom. The Zealots, they wanted a military kingdom. But instead of any of those things, Jesus comes offering a kingdom, and he comes offering that kingdom to those that are meek. And not only in the first century were these kinds of qualities not necessarily appreciated or wanted, but even in the 21st century world where we live, things like meekness are not something that most of us aspire to. Our world tells us that blessed are the proud and intimidating, for they shall inherit the earth. We live by a common mantra that says, the survival of the fittest. We value the strongest, the smartest, the most ingenious, the one who doesn't mind cutting off others or even stepping on other people in order to advance themselves. We simply don't look favorably today on being meek 
or gentle as it may be translated in some of your translations, meek or gentle as being a virtue that we really desire. I mean, when was the last time you were heard bragging about someone and you described them with the ad adjective meek? They're such a meek person. And yet one of the strongest men in the Bible, a man named Moses, was described as being the meekest man on earth. But we don't use that kind of terminology because we don't value the qualities that Jesus is talking about here, especially this quality of meekness. I mean, would you describe your favorite sports team or your favorite athlete as being meek? When a team is looking for a head coach, have you ever heard any of them say, I hope we can find somebody who's meek? I mean, coaches don't rally their teams with meekness. Executives don't train their salespeople in meekness. Politicians certainly don't lead with meekness in most circumstances. Parents rarely counsel their children to develop meekness. I mean, all of these things. Generals don't motivate troops with a speech about meekness. Do you know that I've never known of anyone that offered a seminar on meekness training? But maybe they should. If they really understood the meaning of meekness, maybe they should. Instead, our world says that in order to be something and to go somewhere and to be somebody, you have to be strong and tough. You have to be aggressive and self-assertive. You have to possess an almost, an almost unprincipled ambition. You have to promote yourself, exalt yourself, and always, and I mean always, fight for yourself. You have to demand your personal rights and fight for what you think you deserve. You have to look out for yourself above all else because there's no one else that's going to look out for you, right? That's the conventional wisdom that's espoused by most people today. But I want you to know today that we should remember that almost everything about the life that is blessed is the very opposite of the world's wisdom. Almost everything about the blessed life is the very opposite of the world's thinking about the way you live your life. Not only in these beatitudes, but in a lot of er other areas, there are these upside-down truths that are constantly presented to us over and over again in the Scripture. For instance, the world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, believe in me. The world says, strive to be number one. Jesus says, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The world says winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And Jesus says, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The world says, don't get mad, get even. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The world says, stand up for your rights. And Jesus says, lay down your life for my sake. The world says, assert yourself, assert yourself. And Jesus says, deny yourself. And that list could go on. 
because the truths of Scripture are so opposite of the world in which we live and the training that all of us are given as we're growing up and as we're going through life. It's the opposite of so much of the conventional wisdom that we're always taught. And I understand when you talk about those things I've just mentioned or any of these beatitudes, those are hard things to take in. They're hard things for us to apply to our lives, and I have failed in many of these areas many, many times over the course of my life. But the fact is that they state truths about God's rule in our, in our lives. They state truths about the attitudes that he desires for us to cultivate in this life if we want to have the blessed life. So it shouldn't surprise us when Jesus comes in the third beatitude that's found in verse 5, and he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Can you say that out loud with me? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So as we're talking about this beatitude that's so opposite of what we often think of as the conventional wisdom of the day, we just need to understand what this idea of meekness is really all about. There was a devotional book years ago that referenced a man by the name of J. Upton Dixon. Dixon was a humorist. He was a comedian. And he said that he'd written a book entitled Cower Power. Cower, C-O-W-E-R, Cower Power. And the subtitle read, If There Are No Objections. Think about that. He went on to say he founded an organization for submissive people known as doormats. He said it was an acronym that stands for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls. Pretty good, isn't it? The group's motto was, the meek shall inherit the earth if that's okay with everyone else. <laughs> and the symbol he chose to represent their group was a yellow traffic light. He said, we all know that no one stops for those. They simply speed up in order to ignore them quicker. <laughs> you know, that's sort of funny, isn't it? Because that's how we think of this attitude of meekness. That's how we view the whole attitude of meekness. But that's really not what the scripture means when it says, blessed are the meek. So let me tell you what it does not mean first. Meekness is not weakness. Please, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not cowardice or spinelessness. Meekness does not mean you always avoid conflict, arguments, or confrontations. Meekness does not indicate someone who fails to stand for the truth. Meekness does not describe a person with an indolent, lazy, or apathetic attitude. Meekness does not describe a person who lacks ambition or who fails to set goals for their lives and work toward them. Meekness is the opposite, if you will, of self-righteousness, of arrogance, of smugness, of defensiveness. It's unpretentious. It's gentle. It's humble. It's considerate. Should I say that again? It's considerate. It's courteous. It implies that a person, uh, it implies a person who is self-controlled, who possesses the virtues of humility. And actually, meekness, or as I said earlier, sometimes translated as gentleness, 
It's the exact opposite of self-assertiveness and self-promotion. It's the exact opposite of self-assertiveness and self-promotion. Xenophon, who was a, a Greek historian, used this word to describe a wild horse that had been tamed, but whose spirit had never been broken. You know, I grew up in the deep south, and southern horse breeders used to have a saying. They said, the meekest horse wins the race. Do you know what they meant by that? The meek horse is the one who had responded to the trainer's training. It was obvious that he had inherent strengths, but those strengths had been harnessed and brought under focused control. And if you like to watch horses run like I do, you understand what I'm talking about. Plato, in writing of a victorious general who spared a conquered people, spoke of him as meek. He had it within his power and within his authority to wipe out that people. But instead of doing so, he held back that strength, and he let them live, and he let them thrive, and a conqueror of that kind was considered to be meek. Socrates said that a meek person is one who can argue his case without losing his temper. Would you like to hear that again? One who can argue his case without losing his temper. I don't know, this past week I've been watching politicians. Some of them, one of them a lady out front of the Supreme Court, you know, yelling and screaming and punctuating her points, um, arguing her case, but she said, I am angry. And it was obvious. The ancient philosopher Aristotle used this same word to depict someone who's upset at social injustice, but their anger doesn't degenerate into revenge, vindictiveness, or retaliation. You don't show up at a Supreme Court justice's house and threaten them in some fashion. You know, we'll move out of the world of these ancient philosophers and historians, one of the Puritan pastors was a man by the name of Thomas Watson, and he described meekness as three different things. He said it's the bearing of injuries, it's the forgiving of injuries, and it's the returning of good for evil. It's the bearing of injuries, the forgiving of injuries, and the returning of good for evil. And so the what I want you to take home with you today is maybe the best definition for us as we try to understand this idea of meekness is that meekness is strength that's under control. It's not out of control. It's strength that is under control, like a horse that has a bridle, and a, it has a saddle, and they, they've been focused so that they can run. They're not a, a wild colt or a wild pony that has to be broken. This is somebody who has been broken. Their strength is under control and they're focused. It's not out of control. A meek person is a passionate person who was unwavering in his conviction, yet gentle, kind, and magnanimous toward others, even if they've been wronged by them. A meek person is a passionate person who is unwavering in his conviction, yet gentle, kind, and magnanimous, magnanimous toward others, even if they've been wronged by them. 
You know, when I think of meekness, I can't help but think of you mamas. I can't help but think of you, you ladies. You are here in this auditorium with me today, and you present yourself as somebody who's meek and mild. I mean, you're someone who gives compassion and love, and you show gentleness to your family. But I want you to know, to you men that are sitting next to those women, there's a lioness within. <laughs> right? I did a little uh, reading on the internet this past week looking at some stories of incredible feats that were accomplished by mothers. There were two moms, Donna McNamee and Abigail Sicolo, that witnessed an accident that a neighbor boy had had. He was eight, year, eight years old. His name was Bailey Fowler. And because of the accident, he became pinned under the engine of an, of an automobile. And these two women heard his screams, and these two moms jumped to his aid, according to the Daily Mail. Apparently, he had run into the street while playing ball and got hit by a car. You know, parents' worst nightmare. These moms, incredibly, started lifting the car. They had to lift the car high enough for others to pull out the boy who was screaming. And McNamee's father said, these ladies were magnificent. They were like super women. <laughs> Can you imagine two ladies lifting a car? Men, we better be careful. <laughs> he added that the accident was horrible and he never wanted to see such an incident or an accident again. He said the child suffered some challenging injuries, but his mother told the Daily Mail that he was keeping up his spirits and the family was grateful for their neighbors. Did you know, ladies, you have that kind of superhuman strength if you need to call on it? You're somebody who has strength that's under control. Now, I know growing up, you know, sometimes that strength gets out of control too. But mothers, for the most part, you're ladies who have strength that's under control. There was another story I found interesting. It's about a California mother who bravely fought off a 65-pound mountain lion. It attacked her five-year-old son in the front yard of their home. The attack happened in Calabasas, California. I hope Calabasas is pronounced right. It's in northwest, it's northwest of Los Angeles, just above the rugged terrain of the Santa Monica Mountains. And this child's mother was inside this house when she heard the screams coming from the front yard. And then, quote, she ran outside and immediately started striking and punching at the lion and managed to fend the lion off her son. Wow. California Department of Fish and Wildlife Captain Patrick Foy told CBS Los Angeles, this mom's an absolute hero who saved her son's life. There's no question about it. And those kind of stories go on. We look at the ladies and we say, look how meek and mild, look how compassionate and loving and gentle they are. And yet, in the moment that they need that strength, the strength is there, and it comes forth in ways that maybe they didn't know, certainly we didn't know that it was available. And that's the whole idea of meekness. It is strength that is under control. We should never underestimate the power of a mother's love or her ability to release a reserved strength to aid her children and family. And all you mamas said, amen. That's what we're talking about.
That's the kind of meekness that we're talking about. We're talking about a meekness that is strength, that is under control. It means that though you have power, authority, and strength, you only use it at the right time for the right reason and to the right degree. Because I know some of you are writing. I want to say it again. It means that though you have power, authority, and strength, you only use it at the right time for the right reason and to the right degree. It is strength that is under control. When you need to call on it, it will come out. But it will always be kept under control even when it comes out. You know, before it was popular to have international students come to the United States, Tater University, which is a Christian college in Indiana, if you didn't know, was glad to welcome an African student whose name was Sam. He was a bright young man. He was very gifted. He had a lot of promise, and the school felt very honored to have him. When he arrived on campus, the president of the university at the time took him on a tour of the school and showed him all of the different dorms where he could live. And when the tour was over, the president asked Sam, where would he like to live? Where would you like to live? And the young man replied, if there is a room that no one else wants, give that room to me. The president choked up with tears because he said over the years of welcoming thousands of students to campus, no one had ever made such a request. If there is a room that no one else wants, give that room to me. I mean, in that moment, he had the strength to ask for any room he wanted, but in meekness, he stepped back. And he kept that meekness, kept that strength under control as someone who was expressing meekness. Let me see if I can make this practical for, for us today. Meekness may mean saying, if there's a job that no one wants to do, I'll do it. If there's someone that has no one to eat lunch with, I'll eat lunch with him or with her. If there's a piece of toast that's burnt, I'll take that piece. Actually, I like it that way. If there's a parking space far away from the church building, I'll park in that space so church guests and senior adults can park close. If there's a service time that's less convenient for people, I'll worship at that service. If there's a parking space far away from the church building, I'll park in that space so church guests and senior adults can park close. If there's a service time that's less convenient for people, I'll worship at that service. Oh, wait a minute. Did I say that twice? <laughs> Forgive me for repeating myself. I guess the Lord wanted emphasis this morning. If there's a hardship someone has to endure, I'll take that hardship. If there's a sacrifice someone needs to make, I'll make that sacrifice for them. It's somebody who has the strength to claim something for themselves, but they resist using that strength in order to prefer someone else ahead of themselves. It's a strength that you possess. It's an authority that you possess 
but you only use it in the right way at the right time to the right degree. And you're careful about monitoring that strength. Can I just tell you that this is how Jesus modeled it for us? Jesus modeled meekness for us, and nobody would ever say that Jesus was weak. Nobody would ever say that Jesus was wishy-washy. Jesus showed meekness when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, didn't he? He could have ridden in on a stallion like the Romans, uh, like the Roman rulers would ride into a city. He could have demanded that he have the respect of the Romans. But on this occasion, even though he was the king and even though the people were declaring him to be the king, he rode in that day on what? On the back of a donkey because Jesus was meek. He showed meekness in the upper room when no one seemed willing to do the menial task of washing the disciples' feet. I mean, this is the rabbi we're talking about. Jesus is the rabbi. He's the honored guest. He's the one that everybody is there to be with and to listen to. I mean, he could have said to one of the other disciples, get up and wash the feet. But instead, Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist he rolled up his sleeves, and he washed the dirt from his disciples' sweaty, dusty feet. Jesus showed meekness in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his arrest. I mean, an angry mob comes up the hill, going to take Jesus under arrest, and they come with their puny swords and clubs. I mean, do you really think that you can arrest Jesus with these puny swords and these puny clubs? I mean, when he stands up, he speaks the first time, and he says, I am he, and what happens? The whole crowd falls backward onto the ground, the power of his word. But his strength was under control because when one of his disciples tried to fight for him, he said, put up your sword. Put up your sword. And he went with them. He went with them quietly. When Jesus was to be crucified. He was falsely accused in his trials, but he didn't defend himself. When he was unjustly sentenced, he had every right to demand a fair trial, but he didn't. When he hung on the cross, he could have easily summoned a legion of angels to rescue him and silence his enemies, but he didn't. He had strength that was under control. Jesus yielded himself to the injustice of it all in order that he might die for the sins of the whole world in accordance with his Father's will. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.23 says. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You know, sometimes in life, when you're treated unjustly, you just have to back up to be like Jesus and say, Jesus, this is not about me going on the attack. This is about me releasing this to you and letting go and not allowing the strength that I may have to strike back at someone. Is it any wonder that 
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, these words, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to come to a Savior who looks angry, who has his fist ready to strike, who's breathing out fire toward us, but we come to one who has his strength under control, one who is meek and lowly. He's not weak. He's not vacillating as if he doesn't know where he's supposed to be or what he's supposed to be doing. He knows exactly what the will of the Father is, and he has surrendered himself to the Father's will, even if it means the injustices that he had to endure from others when he could have called for himself to be delivered. I suggest to you that's the kind of meekness that Jesus is talking about in this third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, you say, Pastor, what does he mean by inherit the earth? Well, first of all, I want you to notice he didn't say inherit the world. He's not talking about wealth and fame or comfort or valuables in the sense that we think of valuables. There's a future tense aspect to this beatitude, but there's a present application. When he says that we can inherit the earth, he's talking about things like the beauty and the meaning and the love and the significance that he brings to life, what makes it the blessed life. The earth represents the goodness and the fullness of God, both in this life and in the life that's yet to come. In other words, he says, look, when you have strength that's under control, you're not out of control. You have power and authority, but you use it properly, in the right places, in the right way, to the right degree. When you don't get out of control, you have strength that's under control. You result in having what is called the blessed life. You have God to give to you the goodness and the fullness that he has to offer in this life and in the life that is yet to come. Though everybody around you may be laughing at the way you responded, your God in heaven isn't laughing at all. He isn't laughing at all. And do you understand what it means to inherit? What do you do to inherit something? Nothing. The only way you inherit something is that you're rightly related to the person who has something to give away. The only way to inherit this from the Savior is that he is your Savior. That you have trusted in him to be your Savior. Then when you behave in express the beatitude of meekness, then you inherit the earth, all of this goodness, all of this fullness of God that gives to you this blessed life. You say, I'm worn out with the life I'm living. The conventional wisdom has me stressed out. I'm at the emergency room getting checked out. It's because we've chosen to follow the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom of God. And I am guilty, as I'm sure many of you are guilty at times. We're all in this same struggle together. You know, meekness is so very important. 
when restoring a fallen Christian? Do you realize that Galatians 1, 6 says that we're to do it in the spirit of meekness? Did you understand that it's important when conflict arises? In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, dealing with conflict, he says to resolve it with all humility, meekness, and patience. When it comes to confronting doctrinal error, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, he says that you're to do so in gentleness, instructing those in opposition. And even when you're hearing God's word, when you're hearing his word in James 1.21, he says to receive with meekness the engrafted word. I, I don't know how many times people have gone away angry. I'll never be back there. I don't like what he had to say. I don't appreciate it. Receiving with meekness the engrafted word. And even when it comes to sharing our faith, he says we're to be ready always to give an answer to those who ask us. And he says we're to do it with gentleness. That's the same word for meekness. With gentleness and fear. Gentleness and fear. Do you see how meekness is to characterize every aspect of their lives and why all of us, including this preacher, have a long way to go? Most of us will show up at the restaurant today, and if we're able, we'll throw our weight around to get a table before everybody else. Right? We'll use our connections to get up in the line a little further. We never stop to think, you know, maybe God wants us to wait and to prefer somebody other than ourselves. Have I got you angry yet? <laughs> Meekness. Okay, I get it. I'm bringing this to a close, so stay with me. I get it. You say, Pastor, I get it. I get it. It's strength under control. I'm not supposed to be out of control. I can have strength. I can have authority. I can have power. But it's never to be out of control, and it's only to be used in the proper proportions at the right time, in the right circumstances. That strength to be allowed to be expressed in the right way. I understand that, but you've got to understand that's not the kind of home I grew up in. That's not the kind of world I work in. I don't think I can ever make that kind of thing happen in my life. And you're 100% right because I can't make it happen in my life either. You say, then how are you going to do it? How am I going to do it? You're going to do it just like everybody else. You're going to recognize in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. Do you know the next one? Meekness and temperance. Against which he says there is no law. How does this meekness get worked out in our lives? How do we develop this meekness in our lives? It's not by working harder at it. It's by surrendering more to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. I want you to know that there is a power within every one of you who are believers in Jesus Christ. There is a power that most of us never tap into to see produced in our lives the kind of characteristics that bring to us the blessed life. This is not about you just trying to figure out how you can do this on your own and work it out yourself. This is about you becoming increasingly more surrendered to the God who dwells within you.
I heard a story about a man out west who owned a junkyard. He worked hard to make a living buying and selling all the salvaged junk that he could find. And one day, while he was working late into the evening hours, he discovered that his junkyard was located over an oil field. And so he hired a drilling crew, and soon the black gold flowed abundantly from the earth, and his junkyard was transformed into a gold mine. Can I tell you, a lot of us are living like we own a junkyard. When we've really got a gold mine in the presence of the Holy Spirit who wants to control us and produce within us the kind of characteristics that the Beatitudes are talking about. Jesus says that meekness is the way to the blessed life. To be blessed is to be fully satisfied. It's about rewards that come from our relationship with God rather than from the material world around us. And shouldn't that be the kind of life that all of us really want to have?